Hello, friend. This is Taylor with an exciting and important announcement before this episode begins. For the past few years, I've gotten lots of requests from men in my courses for an in-person workshop or retreat. And I'm happy to say that this year it's finally happening in the beautiful mountains just outside of Asheville on July 11th through the 14th. And it includes a nine-week online men's group and training that starts three weeks before the retreat to help us integrate the work we're going to be doing together into our regular everyday lives. The program is called Liberate Your Life Force, and it's for any man who wants to feel truly vital and alive and liberated in his life on a daily basis in things like sex, relationships, in your family, in your business, and with your mission and purpose in life. Yes, <laughs> let's take a breath to that. <sighs> mm. I am co-facilitating this program with my good friend Thomas Duchin, and we've created this program based on our years of working with hundreds of men and figuring out some of the most effective and powerful ways to help us break through the most common ways men get blocked in life, with things like sexual shame, emotional closure and numbness, being the lone wolf, being the nice guy, difficulty receiving, and so many more ways that we hold ourselves back. The good news is we can actually work through these things and come out way stronger on the other side, especially when supported by a group of men and in-person processes that challenge you to become your best self. If this is something that sounds good to you, you can go to my website and click the retreat menu option to learn more. And know that enrollment is first come, first serve by application only, and it's limited to just 18 men, so we can have a truly powerful and tight-knit group. It's going to be profound, it's going to be fun, it's going to be challenging, and I'm so excited to share it with you and the group of men who have already signed up. So if you're interested, again, check out my website. And with all that being said, let's get into today's episode subconsciously sometimes people are in relationships and they don't really want to give right they want to just take as much as they can take right and that might be due to their own pain and wounding right but if you're in a relationship where it's like okay we're both in this relationship we want to be in this relationship you want to give then give them an open heart hello friend and welcome to the sex upgraded podcast a podcast for men all about sex where we'll combine real authentic down-to-earth conversations about sex, life, and relationships with some pretty wild personal stories and practical how-to episodes as well to help you have the most amazing sex life you can possibly have. My name is Taylor and I'll be your host on this journey and it's my goal with each episode to give you practical, actionable tools and insights you can start using today to improve your sex life and to improve your entire life because the quality of your entire life is directly linked to your sex life. So let's begin today's episode by taking a deep breath in together through the nose into the belly and exhaling with an audible sigh and let's get into today's episode. David Chambers, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you join us today. Thank you for showing up to be here. No, thank you for having me. Yeah, you're somebody about a month or so ago, I reached out to my email list and asked everybody, who would you like me to interview for the podcast? And a number of people mentioned you. And I checked you out and I thought, wow, this is awesome. This guy specializes in communication, helping people communicate better in their relationships. And this is something that I think is crucially important that doesn't get talked about enough in the world of sex and relationships. So tell me a little bit, what is it that you do? Who do you help? Why is communication so important to you? Yeah, so I kind of specialize in working with people around um, dating, relationship, and intimacy. Um and a big part of my work really is around kind of healthy masculinity, which I think at the center of that communication is a really powerful piece that we are, you know, I mainly work with men. And as men, we're not always taught on scored in the arts of communication, in skillfully communicating our emotions and our feelings, our perspectives and what's in our inner world. Um, yeah. Often because we have no idea what's going on in our inner world a lot of the time. We're so focused on the outer world and production and creating and looking good and, you know, all those kind of things that the world tells us are our value as men. Yeah. Um, so why is the inner world important? Because our inner world is, you know, I, I like to live a kind of inside out life. Our inner world dictates our external experience, right? It's, it's, it's massive and it's, it's something that's so overlooked. 
And when it comes to communication, I see this again and again, you know, I work with um, men, but I also do some couples work with my, with my partner, which is fascinating, right? Because it's always, <laughs> it's always, you know, couples will come and say, oh, you know, it's our intimacy that's not working or it's, um, I don't know, it'll be something like, oh, we're arguing all the time or, you know, we don't see eye to eye. And then you get talking, you realize communication, they're not communicating they're not able to like show up and say what it is, what they're feeling, what's going on for them. And then when I work mm-hmm. with men one-to-one around dating, one of the things that comes up again and again is their inability to communicate what they're feeling, but also in that listening. Like I think, I think listening is the most underrated part of communication because we're always talking about, you know, people always saying, I want to feel heard, right? Which is understandable, right? I want to feel mm-hmm. heard, but no, everyone wants to feel heard. No one wants to do any listening. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Listening is a very underrated skill for sure. But what do you mean? Like, how do you actually listen to somebody? <laughs> like, mm. I'm you know, <laughs> listening to you now, like I'm hearing the words you say, like, of course, like, but what does that actually mean to you? Yeah. So, you know, there's kind of base level listening is like, I'm hearing your words, right? But if we start getting into a conversation where I start to have some internal emotional reaction to what's being talked about, what's being mm. said, that inner world, that inner reaction, right? Say, for instance, I start to feel nervous. Like I'm sitting here feeling nervous, right? So an example. Mm. Now my experience of this moment starts to be kind of colored and tinged with that nervousness. And if I'm not aware of that, right? Or I'm not able to kind of have some observation of it. If I get kind of wrapped up in it, I may start mm. to think, ah, oh, Taylor's doing something to make me feel nervous. I might start Mm. projecting my nervousness onto something else other than just it being a normal human experience in this moment, Mm. right? And then that will affect my ability to listen. So let's take this into a relationship sense. For instance, Mm. um, I have an example that we did with a a couple we worked with and we did an exercise around praise, around praising each other. Mm. And one of the partners was praising uh, their partner for um, the way they look after them where they've looked after them at times, you know, when they've had a difficult day and it involved things like cooking and looking after the house, but also around like, you know, just massage and things like that. And the partner that was listening picked up on something that really wasn't actually said. They reflected back. They were like, yeah, I can hear that you're, you know, you had some real struggle in, in praising me. And I was sitting there as, as, as well as my partner in this session. And we were like, Wow. Do you see mm. there that, and I pointed out, we stopped the session at that point and said, Hey, can you just, the partner who was speaking, we said, can you, can you say what you said again? Right. And the partner listening had to hear it again. And they were like, I ignored all of the praise and I only paid attention to that little sliver that I felt I experienced of them having trouble praising me. Mm. And this is what we're doing constantly in our lives. We're erasing bits of information because of the lens that we have on the world, whether that's to do with our own emotional reactions in the moment, whether that's to do with our story and narrative that we have about ourselves that might come from childhood, you know, something like if we tell ourselves a story that we're not good enough, for instance, Mm -hmm. that starts to tinge how we see the world and how we think the world is talking to us and acting towards us. Mm. So you're saying that listening not only involves being really present and hearing the words of your partner, but also being aware of the internal narrative that's happening while you're hearing their words and noticing if your internal narrative is affecting your perception of the things that they're saying in some way that might be altering it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and the thing is, is that most of us are really unaware of our internal narratives. We're very unaware Mm. of like the narratives that we, we think about ourselves or we think about other people. Um, For instance, you know, if you're a man and you're dating, and you have all these narratives around women and women are, women don't want men who are not a certain height, for instance, you'll just walk through the world and you start only paying attention to the things that back up your narrative. But if you don't mm-hmm. realize you have a narrative, say for instance, around being incapable or not being good enough, you just think that your life is hard or that everyone's trying to screw you over or mm-hmm. you're, you actually aren't good enough. You don't realize it's just a narrative. It's just a story that you tell yourself constantly you have no separation between those thoughts and the narrative and, you know, the you that is witnessing everything that is occurring. Yeah. And this is how beliefs shape reality. 
right? It's exactly. not this sort of like pseudoscientific thing. It's actually, oh, you have a belief, you have a narrative. And because of that, that's impacting the things you notice in the world. And then that's impacting the experiences you're able to have in life, in life because of this belief. Like I know I've, you know, I'm, I'm in a lot of men's spaces as, as you are as well. And something that I've seen a lot, um, in certain men's spaces, not all of them, but in certain ones, especially online, there's a lot of contempt or frustration with women and people mm-hmm. saying like, oh, women are bad. All women are evil. Women don't care about men. Women are self-centered, like all this stuff. And every time I see that, I'm thinking to myself like, wow, man, like what reality are you creating for yourself actually? Like when you walk around the world and that's actually your belief, of course, you're going to select examples and stories of anything that will reinforce that. And that's going to color every experience you have with a woman. Like, why would you want that belief? And obviously it's coming from pain, but this, you know, this is something, this is something that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've seen exactly the same, exactly the same all the time. And it's, and you just, it's, you know, cognitive bias, right. Is what it's called. And we are always going to find evidence to back up the things that we want to believe. Like, Right. You know, I can, we can always find evidence to back up the things we want to believe. And it's starting to pay attention to like a question I ask my clients a lot is, is that true? Is that thing you just said to me about how you are as a person or how the world is? It's like, yeah. is that actually true? And like through that question, it's like, take some space. Let's start to look at that. Like, is that thing true? You know, you know, someone will say something like, I am an anxious person. And I'm like, hmm, are you? are you really an anxious person? Are you always anxious? And they're like, no, like only in certain situations. So, oh, so sometimes you're anxious. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm anxious. So you have experiences of anxiousness sometimes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then there's lots of times that you have joy and happiness and peace. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, so you're just someone has that has anxious moments. And it's like, just through our language, we can create a little bit of space between the very permanent I am. And the I am experiencing or I sometimes experience. And it just gives us a little bit of space, I think, like internally to see ourselves maybe in different facets, uh, different dimensions. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And people say that freedom is freedom comes in the moment between stimulus and response. So like mm. when you create that spaciousness, then you have more of a choice of how you react afterwards. So I'm curious to make this a little more relational if you're open to it and I can share as well, but is there any sort of limiting belief that you're aware of in your own life that you're working on that you're, that you're actively reframing or maybe, maybe was there a big one in the past that you can speak to? No, no, there's, and this is the thing is right. You know, I say this to people a lot. It's like, and you know, this obviously is no matter how much work you do, these beliefs they do not completely disappear. They, there will always mm-hmm. be some little, as one of my spiritual mentors calls it, she's like, there's always going to be a little bit of sand in your shoe, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a little bit and it's going to annoy you. Um, one of mine is, um, a big one I have to deal with is like, I'm not accepted. Like, especially mm-hmm. within relationship, I'm not accepted by the women I'm with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I say a second one is, um, they don't want me to be free. The women I'm with, they don't want me to be free. Right. Mm. And these ones are really interesting because, you know, it can be the smallest thing, especially the one around freedom is like my partner will come in here at say, I don't know, eight o'clock in the evening and I'm sitting here typing away, still working. And she'll say to me, ah, when are you going to be done? When are you going to be finished? Mm. And instantly there's this moment in me that's like, why are you asking me that? What do you want? (laughs) (laughs) I can do what I want. I literally want to scream at her, go, I can do what I want. And I feel that arising in my mind that like, I can do what I want. And I'll turn around and sometimes I'll answer and go, oh, I'm not sure. And she'll hear the tone and she'll go to me, David, I'm just asking you so that we can have dinner. And I'm like, oh, it's like a little snap. Like it hits me. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I've probably done like half an hour, an hour. Or there's moments where she asks me the question and I'll pause and I'll say, do you know what? I'm hearing you say this. I heard the words, but what I'm hearing internally is that you want me to stop working because you don't like me working late. And she'll Mm. go, no, I I hear that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, I'd love to have dinner together. And I'm like, ah, got it. And that's the the kind of subtlety that you have to be in is like having that awareness to see this, this narrative that when it comes up, because it's going to come up and it's a daily, daily practice. I say it's like mm. a, life is like a long meditation, you know, 
My focus is on being open and loving and kind. And then when I get distracted, I fall into my patterns, into my um, dysfunctional beliefs, which are like, I'm not free. I'm not accepted. Mm-hmm. And when I notice that I have to come back, I have to consciously bring myself back to to my focus, which is being open and loving and and kind and, and, you know, serving the world in the best way I can. Hmm. <sighs> yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. And it occurs to me that I have this and anybody listening right now, if you're listening to this, like you have something like this too. It's not going to be the same exact story, but we all have something like this, something that's primed for reaction. That's going to react more swiftly to some comment than somebody else might. And it's really useful to be able to be aware of that. And like the way you just spoke about how uh, you named it to your partner, like one of the options is, Hey baby, I'm noticing that this is how I'm hearing you. And she said, no, this is actually what I'm meeting. Like that's some serious up-leveled communication right there, you know? (laughs) And I imagine that impacts your entire relationship to be able to do that probably creates a different frame, a different health to the relationship that you wouldn't otherwise have. Mm, I'm guessing. mm, Yeah. 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 And it's like, and we do it, we both do it. Right. So she, um, what's her concern? Her, one of her narratives is around abandonment, right? Mm. And being left. So you can see sometimes my want for freedom and her fear of abandonment, they can clash massively, Mm -hmm. right? They can really clash. So there's moments in our lives where she may say to me, um, it can be the tiniest things, you know, we're sitting on the sofa and she reaches over to lean on me and I'll be like, oh, I just want a bit of, I just want a bit of space. And she'll say, oh, and I'm like, oh, you heard, you, you felt like I was leaving you, that I was abandoning mm. you in this moment. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm feeling. And I was like, no, if I, I'm not in a kind of rude tone, I'd be like, I totally hear you. Can yeah. I just have five minutes where I can like spread my legs open and spread myself wide. And then I'm going to come and give you a big hug and I'll hold you. And she'll be like, ah, yeah, got it. And it just means that there's a clarity of our communication when we're both like, you know, in this space of really being able to, to see what's happening. And it does, mm-hmm. it makes a real, creates a real relational depth that, that can occur. But, you know, there's been a few moments that we, when we've been like during intercourse, having sex, and I think of this really profound moment that happened, it's probably about four or five months ago. And we'd been really had this beautiful lovemaking where we sat and we breathed together first. And then we were doing some um, like synchronized breathing. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment where, you know, we have eye contact, we're breathing together. And I was holding her, I was on top of her and I moved away. And I would say I was probably moved about half an inch. And her body, her hands reached very quickly towards me. Mm. And I put my head down and I went to her ear and I said, I said, baby, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. And that moment she burst into tears mm. because she saw that she recognized in that moment, as I recognized where there was part of her that thought I was leaving, even though I was only moving one inch, I literally moved one inch back to adjust myself. Mm-hmm. But because of the level of presence we had in that moment, I saw what was happening. I felt it. It's less I saw more. I just felt it as I felt the hands. And then having the awareness to be like, hey, I'm not going anywhere. And it really, it was like a real healing moment for her of like, yeah, no matter how many times, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm loving, I'm kind. But feeling in that very moment was another level of healing. Mm. Nice. Nice. And it, it sounds to me, well, A, that sounds like a really beautiful, powerful, growthful experience for both of you. And B, it seems like there's a there's some level of intentionality in terms of choice that both of you are bringing to this situation. Because what I just heard you say is one of your patterns or, or reactive source bots or whatever you want to call it is, is that, oh, the belief, my partner doesn't want me to be free, right? And mm-hmm. then you're t- saying how your partner, one of hers, is she doesn't want to be abandoned. Well, those two, man, they link up. <laughs> they could link up so intensely and just feed off of each other. And I could see how they could spiral, you know, and it makes me think like most people get into long-term relationship with somebody where there's somehow a match in, in these hurts or these, these primed areas or these beliefs. And so you have an opportunity either to, to spiral downward or use that as an avenue for growth and connection and deeper sexuality and deeper union in the relationship. That's beautiful. Like it, it makes total sense to me that that those two things would be 
some of your beliefs that you're each working on. And I'm going to quote you for a second. It reminds me of something you said um, on one, somewhere you said this. I was taking some notes before this interview. You said, when bringing challenges to your relationship, are you one, lovingly calling your partner forward to deepen love through communication, or two, are you choosing verbal violence and trying to punish them or make them wrong for the ways they've made you feel? Mm. And I think that's such a crucial piece of awareness to bring into conflict in relationship. I don't know if there's anything you want to speak to after hearing me just say that. Mm, no, yeah, I remember that piece. Um, it's that we, there's this, this, this element of like, okay, I have something that's going on for me or something that I am, is not ideal in the relationship. And it's like, am I calling my, are you calling your partner forward in a way that's mm -hmm. like, Hey, my love, I want our relationship to be X, Y, Z, you know, the most loving container that it can be. And I'm seeing that we are overworking and it was it's stopping us from having the deep intimacy that we want. Yeah. Right. That's one way. Like, or, and what can we do about that? I'd love us to do X, Y, and Z, right. To, to rectify that if we can, or there is storming in with projection and blame. You're mm. working all the time. You know, you don't pay attention to me. And it's just that difference in, it's just the same underlying desire there, but it's how we desire, decide to bring it to our partners and how it's going to be kind of received, right? Because, you know, if you are with someone who is incredibly skilled in the arts of communication and feeling, they may hear both of them the same and listen to the underlying desire. But most mm -hmm. of us are not that kind of ninja-like skilled most of the times because, you know, we're working, we've got stuff to do and our minds sometimes are not fully in this moment. So it's like, that's the kind of responsibility that we can take on. It's like, how am I choosing to like communicate with my partner most of the time? Like, and what yeah. culture does that create in my relationship that left that mm. sort of communication? Mm. What is the culture of the relationship? What is the culture of the relationship you want to create? That's you, listener, right now. What is the culture of the relationship that you want to create? It's such an important question. And this is something that comes up every day, even for me. And it's it's mind-blowing sometimes. So this morning, my partner, um, woman, Naima, uh, we were eating breakfast together this morning and sharing some... It's Valentine's Day today. <laughs> and it's like an interesting, interesting day for a lot of people, but we were sharing some appreciations and talking about what we were going to do for the day. And then this one little thing happened where there was like this, this pain point that came up, just boom, out of the blue. And it caught me. And it, it, it actually, it caught me. And it, it, it was frustrating. And I, I had a little bit of a reaction and it blew my mind of just how quickly that could happen. And when I say a little bit of reaction, it was, it was an internal thing that happened. You know, I didn't like blow up and start yelling, but I had this internal contraction around, around what she said. And we decided to take a walk after, after that and walk around outside for a little bit. And as a practice, we decided to do gratitudes, like express gratitudes and appreciations for each other to come back into connection. And for the first 10 minutes, internally in my mind, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to fucking say gratitude to you. Like you're an asshole. You know, like I, I had all these parts that wanted to make her wrong or bad or do the punishing thing, you know? And I remembered that you said this and I'm like, man, it's amazing. Like, and I've done a lot of work with communication as well, but this shit still happens, you know, and it's still a practice. And we were eventually able to come back into a nice loving connection with, with some practice uh, and intentionality. But it, I just marveled at how, how quickly it can happen. You mm. know? Yeah. So important, important piece. And then, and then, yeah, even, even before this interview, I was thinking like, what is the quality of relationship I want to create? You know, I mm. want to create one where we feel loving and open and connected and where we're focusing on the relationship and not just our own individual desires, but how we're actually keeping our relationship in mind to create something that thrives, you know, that thrives and, and not get into these petty little things. So it involved taking a step back. <sighs> yeah. And I'm going to quote you again <laughs> here and see where this goes. One time you said this, uh, most of the time in relationship, we're more focused on winning arguments, making our partner wrong or being right, getting in our own way instead of nurturing the love that is between us. And then you said, if you start to switch your thinking from the I and what I want into the we, 
And what's good for us as a union, the relationship will be infinitely better. Mm. So what do you mean? I thought the relationship was supposed to meet my needs. <laughs> and that is the, um, that is the like, um, almost dysfunctional child within all of us, isn't it? It's, Mm. I've recently read a wonderful book, which I highly recommend to everybody. Um, It's called Get the Love You Want. Um, Fantastic book, but it Mm. talks about the unconscious partnership and it talks about how we kind of go into a relationship consciously or unconsciously believing that the relationship is just going to be a vehicle to have all our needs met without us really having to do anything. Just like we, Mm. we did when we were little babies. And you know, this focus I see in the world of relationships around getting needs met. Like I want my needs met. I want my needs met. No, again, no one talks about like meeting their partner's needs. It's all about getting my own needs met all the time. And it also kind of puts us into this kind of like way in which we see relationships almost as transactional, right? Trying to take, take, take. And it's like, it's all coming from I, I want, I need, mm. you should do for me kind of thing. And we forget that there is a, A, there's another person inside the relationship, but there's also another Mm -hmm. entity, which I like to see as, as the relationship. Like the relationship is one of my, um, my, my past Tantra teachers, she would say, she's like, you need to treat your relationship like a baby. It's like a, Mm. a separate entity that needs nourishment, that needs feeding, that needs water, that needs attention. Instead of only thinking about you and what you need. And even sometimes like your partner and what they need, you need to think about what does the relationship need? You know, starting to think, okay, so there's this relationship. Um, And for example, like say today is Valentine's day, right? And you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan of Valentine's day and so forth, but I get that my, for my partner, again, she's not even a really big fan of Valentine's day either, but she was like, Oh, can we, can we do something tonight? And I was like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll clear my diary. And I was like, okay, what would be really beautiful for our relationship? There was a question mm-hmm. I asked myself. I was like, what would be really beautiful for our relationship? And I was like, hmm. And I haven't even mentioned these things to her yet. I was like, okay, when I'm finished work, we could go for a walk. Like we live in Portugal on a little island. So we could go for a walk by the beach maybe, mm-hmm. or maybe we could just like, we could just put some music on and roll around in bed or talk about how we feel about each other, whatever it is. But the ideas that start coming to my mind when I start thinking about the relationship over the I, which is me and what I want, starts to transform. There's a whole difference. If I was thinking about me today, Mm. I might say, well, what I need is like, oh man, I've got a few emails I need to send and I could do with like maybe writing that workshop or "Hmm, there's some videos I want to watch or make, right? That's about me. But when I start Mm. thinking about the we my whole decision process starts to shift and starts to change, right? Mm. And it's also incredibly nourishing to myself because this relationship, the love that I put in, nourishes me back, nourishes me back, right? Mm. And it's such an easy thing to forget that like when I give to my relationship, I'm getting back, you know? I'm getting back every time now and in the long run, right? It's not from a transactional point of view, but because I love to give to my relationship. Mm. So the, the almost, the, almost the irony is that through not focusing on your own needs as much and focusing, well, through focusing intentionally on the needs of relationship, you're getting your own personal needs met in the process and not because you're focusing on the relationship to get your needs met, but because you're focusing on the relationship to, to just because you value the relationship and you think it's a beautiful thing that you want to cultivate. So let me ask you. For some people hearing this, and I notice there's still some part of my mind that comes online at this point and thinks, okay, that's great, but isn't that some form of self-sacrifice or am I sacrificing myself in the process or am I giving up something? You know, is there, is there a line there? Is it, you know, what do you have to say about that? Mm, that's a very good question. Um, I think <laughs> I, I, I always, when I, come across a couple, for instance, in every relationship. Mm. I'm like, are you, do you want to be in this relationship? Right. Mm. And they're like, yes, they both say yes. You want to be in this relationship. Right. And you want to love your partner. Yes. I want to love my partner. You want to love the relationship. Yes. Then give. I think it's a slightly different thing because I think subconsciously sometimes people are in relationships and they don't really want to give, right. They want to just mm. take as much as they can take. Right. And that might be due to their own pain and wounding. Right. But if you're in a relationship where it's like, okay, we're both in this relationship, we want to be in this relationship, you want to give, 
then give with an open heart because mm. like I, I'm not, I see I've been in the past in this really transactional way of being in a relationship, which is like, okay, I'm only going to give as much effort as they do, which often, you know, feels like, I would say it feels a bit like having a capitalist relationship because, you know, it's fair trade and all that kind of jazz. Right. But then <laughs> yeah. we usually means that what we do is we give slightly less because we're still trying to win. You know, we're trying to win, mm. even if it's like 1%, right. It kind of goes back to what I was saying about arguments, right. We're still trying to win in this, having like a surplus over the other person. Mm-hmm. Now, I just, I just believe that from my experience and what I see in my clients who are in relationships is like when they give to the relationship and they give open heartedly, right. First they get to experience and feel the love that they're giving, right. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't realize that they had that depth of love that they could give. And then their partner experiences it and their partner is reminded of the, the love that they have for their partner and the relationship itself. And it just becomes a cycle. I see. Right. And there will be times where other times I sacrifice, I, compromise on what I want for what's good for the relationship. Definitely. Definitely. I think we can't, but, and then the question comes to my mind, it's just flown in at the side. It's like, am I thinking from my small self in that moment of the self Mm. that is like, has this small ego and I that wants to win. That's, you know, I always think of the small self a bit like Gollum in uh, Lord of the Rings. (laughs) You know, because Gollum, he just wants to precious. He doesn't think of anything else. He's just so focused on the the smallness of him himself that he doesn't think about the the, the largeness of the kingdoms and the connection that he could be involved in. Mm. It's like, am I so focused on this small I that I'm forgetting about the the bigger I, which is my partner, our community, our friends, our family, that sort of thing. Mm. But I guess there's always dysfunction on both sides, isn't it? Because there's some people who will just think about the I, the small I all the time. And they will sacrifice the, the larger relationships. And there's some people who put all of their focus and attention on the we, and they will lose themselves in the relationship, right? So mm-hmm. it's just also being really mindful of like, where's my, what's my dysfunctional behavior? Where does that take mm-hmm. me? And ensuring yeah. that you, you, you um, are also kind of protecting yourself against that and healing from that as you are in the relationship. So that it doesn't become something that you become resentful of, for instance, or, if your dysfunction is just always giving and giving and giving mm-hmm. to someone else, not necessarily the relationship, then it's to start going, okay, wait a minute. I always give, I need to drop into the relationship and be nourished by that as well. And not just be mm-hmm. giving to my partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super, super important awareness that we're not. Yeah. There's I'm, I'm visualizing there's a spectrum almost it's at least forming in my mind, like a visual spectrum of some sort where we want to be sovereign. Yes. And autonomous and within our own boundaries and healthy in that regard. And then also giving to this relationship and we could go too much in either of the direction. And somehow there's, there's a balance point that is, is some ideal of how to show up in relationship. I'm curious, are there any sort of metrics or ways somebody might be able to tell if they're getting too enmeshed or if they're focusing too much on the relationship and losing some of their self? Like, do you ever encounter this with clients? Do you ever work with people around that? Mm, Yeah. It's where, um, first of all, it's like your own life, like your hobbies, your work, your own ambitions, you know, the way in which you want to, that nourish you as an individual. Um, but also, that you're in service to the world. You know, many of us have, have a purpose, you know, we, we have, whether that's, you know, some for people, it's just their children. For some people, it's mm-hmm. their, their vocation. It's like, where do you start to neglect those things and start putting all the energy into relationship? And it's also, are you doing that with a hidden agenda of getting something, of getting mm-hmm. some meaning about who you are? You know, for like a mm-hmm. lot of people, there is, oh, if I love this person, then they will love me back, right? It's that feeling of like wanting love, wanting someone to love. So they they overgive, they overlove because they're so desperate for the love in return. And it's mm. it's that's that fine line of like, well, I'm I'm loving without any need in return, right? Which is a very very fine line to to kind of tread when we're in a relationship mm-hmm. or when we're dating, for instance. But when we are loving and caring. And we're looking for something in return. And it's, again, it almost has that air of transactional nature to it. Um, Mm -hmm. We do that. So it's really 
staying grounded in the things you love, the things you enjoy, the things you're passionate about and kind of keeping that as well as, as the relationship. Um, I always recommend when I work with, with a, with a man is like, how much alone time do you have? Like how often Mm. are you willing to cancel things in your life for the beck and call of your partner, but also the reverse, like how rigid are you with your life, you know, in relation to the relationship, like, you know, for, you know, for many years, I was so, so rigid. I went to the gym Monday, Wednesday and Friday night, and I would not cancel that for love nor money at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. and it was, and to my partner at the time, I would really feel sorry for her really, because I was just so rigid. You know, there were times where like her friend's birthdays came up and I was like, nope, don't care. It's Friday night. Nope. I go gym. I'm not, I'm not missing it. That's what I do. Mm. But actually I was overly rigid. I could have, I could go to the gym on Saturday. I could have gone earlier, you know, but Mm -hmm. I was just so like guarded in my boundary of my life that it didn't allow for the fluidity of what's, what's necessary, right. Of, of being Mm. a loving partner. Yeah. And I imagine that's, that's a tricky thing to dance with and balance with for some men. I know it has been for me in the past and still sometimes shows up in my world and this, this drive, because there's so much talk about purpose these days, Mm. you know, for anybody who's, for anybody who's like going into doing deeper self-work, you know, you'll probably come across like, what is your purpose? What are you doing with your life? Why do you wake up in the world? You know? And for some people, there's almost this militant, like you have to be on your purpose constantly. Anything that takes you away from your purpose is detracting from the world and like shame, you know, like shame almost. And, and then when I'm just hearing you share your story, I'm thinking, oh, you know, yes, maybe you didn't go to the birthday party on Friday because you were sticking to your purpose. But the question then is ultimately, would your purpose have better been served by being more flexible and having meaningful, intentional community time with a friend and then going to the gym 12 hours later? You know, probably, Hmm. probably, exactly, (laughs) probably. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm just, now I'm just like, like you said, it's like they're adding a bit more flexibility because my, my kind of, you know, in my narrative around freedom and my kind of default way about rigidity and having everything the way I want. See, I know that that is my kind of um, habitual way of being. So the work mm-hmm. for me is flexibility. The work for me is being more flexible with myself and, and with certain areas of my life. But for some, for another man, he may be ultra flexible, you know, to the point where, you know, he's kind of quote unquote a nice guy. So his work is to start to go, okay, I need to put in some more boundaries and start to say mm-hmm. no and yes to the things that I actually want and don't want. And this is where, you know, the, the, the work comes is like learning, like, what is it? Where is my kind of default way of being or the way I've been all this time? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, sometimes we're just not aware of what would really serve our purpose, you know, because we think we know, because we've got this seed, this idea in our mind, but we're not kind of widening the view sometimes to seeing the other things that are kind of could be in our eye line. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That book, I'm sure you, you probably recommend it to some people, but no more Mr. Nice Guy, or do you recommend Mm. it to people? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I would say I'm a mostly recovered nice guy. At this point, <laughs> mostly still work in progress sometimes. But years ago, yeah, I went through a couple of relationships where I really sacrificed myself for the needs of my partner. I would cancel things that were important to me. I would shift things around to support their work and their life, et cetera, because I thought, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, this is the nice thing to do. Like, men's supposed to support the woman, you know, like sacrifice, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't realize at the time that it was building up. A, it was building up immense amounts of resentment under the surface that I wasn't aware of that started to flavor our interactions. And then B, the bigger, more insidious thing was that I was giving so much energy to these relationships that I was never actually deeply pursuing the things I wanted to pursue enough to make them actually happen. This is in my previous career as a commercial photographer in the beginning stages of that career. And it was a humbling experience to realize that. And so after one of those relationships ended, I swung all the way to the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> kind of like you, I was like, I'm sticking to the gym these days, these times, fuck you. I'm not going to do anything else with you. There was like that attitude with it. It was not just 
no, I'm not available. It's like, fuck you for asking me to, to do something, <laughs> you know, like, which is very, was very unhealthy, but I needed, I think I needed to go through that pendulum to swing to realize, okay, there's that's, that's way out of balance as well. So there's, there's a center here. There's mm-hmm. a center somewhere and that's a journey, right? It's a, probably a journey for most people to figure that out. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really important one. Yeah. So before this interview, you said that there were uh, three top things that you talk about in your coaching a lot. Number one is expressing and receiving difficult or heavy emotions. Number two is emotional reactivity and how to manage that. Number three is the internal narrative and how that affects our communication. We kind of talked about that a fair amount in the beginning. I'm wondering if any of those two, the expressing and receiving difficult or heavy emotions or emotional reactivity pop up for you as being... um, like an area you'd like to dive into right now for the last little bit of our session or maybe mm. the first half of the last little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think that, um, that, that piece around kind of receiving difficult and heavy emotions as men mm. it has us avoid having discussions with people, right? Having avoid conflict with our partners or even at work, you know, avoiding them because we don't want to have to feel Right. Mm. And then there's the kind of what I used to do is kind of just suppressing all feeling. Right. But what that kind of leads to is an inability to really express and connect. And when we can't Mm. feel our own emotions, I can't, I can't have empathy for you because I don't have empathy for myself. Right. So this Mm. is a big part. And I'd be remiss to forget a point that kind of uh, relates to this is, and I see this in a lot of men who are wanting to date and are struggling in dating is the kind of inability to really express themselves in a way that has like flair and charisma. Their their language and words often are very functional and flat. And it's one of the main reasons I think, along with empathy and feeling that men struggle to create these kind of deep and meaningful relationships they're looking for. And it's like, but when we come back to ourselves and we start to do the work to feel our own emotions and label them and see them and and be able to, um, when I say feel them, is like giving ourselves space to feel them. Because often Mm -hmm. in this conversation, when this is said, people kind of swing the other way and go, oh, so you're saying that men should just like feel their emotions all the time and cry and weep and be sad. It's like, no, I'm not saying that at all, actually. It's like, but yeah. give yourself the space. Like whether that is you create an intentional time in your day where you feel like, you know, for instance, every week I do um, a longer breathwork session that's usually half an hour to 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. in that, in those times is where I get to bring the emotion that I really want to express in that moment. Sometimes I also in the mornings I'll, I'll do some sort of movement practice or dance. And again, it's a time for me to express some feelings maybe that I didn't have the space to feel and express. Mm. And sometimes it's just a conversation with a friend, right? But it's the importance of actually allowing those emotions to be, to be expressed because if we get used to being with our own anger, it doesn't explode out of us or we don't have to suppress it. And it comes out as like, you know, this passive aggressiveness that happens, mm-hmm. you know, that, that a lot of men kind of experience. Right. So there's again, a middle ground in between zero emotionality and being the crying, sobbing, what a lot of people call like the over emotional man, like sensitive mm-hmm. new age guy or something like that. There's actually in the middle, it's a skillful thing to be able to, use will use but be aware of and integrate and actually feel the emotions and you you struck me something you said uh what was it you said uh that that the there's there's like a closure that can happen for men uh around talking about difficult emotions because of the fear of feeling you know Mm -hmm. and i remember like (laughs) times when my partner has come to me and said hey there's something i want to talk to you about and boom, there's like this immediate, like sinking feeling like, oh dear God, <laughs> what, what, like, what are, you know, what are we going to get into? But I wonder how much of that actually is just a fear of, of feeling, you know, a fear mm-hmm. of feeling because feeling we've been taught as men is, is bad. You know, like you're not supposed mm-hmm. to feel, you're supposed to man up, man up, be self-sufficient and don't show emotion, et cetera. And so we, we've never, most of us, haven't been taught that there is actually a skillful middle way and that through doing so that helps us have better relationships. Mm, that's a great example. And as a byproduct, yeah. And as a byproduct, better sex, you know? Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
And that's a really interesting piece they say about better sex is like my, what I'm seeing in, in couples, and you might've seen the same thing is where there's a lack of emotional intimacy and inability to really express what they're feeling, you know, that kind of highway between the two of them to express what they're feeling and what's there for them and allow it to clear, it affects their sex life. Mm. So many times, so many of the men I've, I've spoken to are like, oh, you know, I've come to the comfort intimacy. Then I start saying, oh, how do you express desire to your partner? Like, how do you express to your partner that you want them, you're desiring them? And they look at me like, oh, I just, you know, I touch her. I'm like, well, well how else? Like, what words, mm. how do you do it with words? How do you do it with a look? How do you do it with you when you're just standing in the kitchen watching her, I don't know, you know, play up some food or when she's watching you play out some food, how do you express these different emotions, desire, joy, happiness, and playfulness in your relationship. Mm. And they look at me blankly because they have no idea because they've never really sat with what they felt and tried to express it in a way that is, is kind of, um, is not so much true to them because that's for them in those moments, it doesn't feel true because they haven't learned, but like in a way that is artful or skillful. Yeah. But that sounds really inefficient and not a, <laughs> why would I do all that? <laughs> Why would I do all that? It sounds like some extra labor, you know? Uh, I, I noticed yeah. like that's a, that's a joke, but there's still this part of me that where that comes up, you know, to be mm. totally honest and transparent. And like, I think that's useful uh, to, to realize like for the listeners, like sometimes people have come to me and said, Oh, Taylor, you've got it all figured out. I'm like, no, dude, no way. I'm definitely still a work in progress. And, and this is one of those things too. It's like, how do I actually express desire and emotionality? Sometimes my partner will share something with me and <laughs> she'll ask me, how does it make me feel? And I'll say something as, uh, something like, oh, it's nice. That feels good. And then stop. <laughs> and then she'll have this, she'll have this look in her eye. Like, are you serious? Is that it? Like, really? You feel nice. You feel nice at this outpouring of my heart that I just gave to you. And then I'm like, oh no. Then there's all these meta emotions and then guilt and like, oh, but now it's confusing. And how do I respond skillfully in this? So how, how would you suggest some people express their desire and their joy to their partner besides mm. just touching them? Yeah. Oh man. I, and I have to say like, I've been there too, where, you know, me and my partner, we both work from home. So she may tell me something middle of the day when I'm like in the mode of like coaching, I'm in the mode of um, creating content or whatever. And she'll say something to me and I'm like, oh, that sounds really, that sounds, oh, that's really beautiful. And she'll go, did you really listen to me? And I'm like, no, no, I didn't. I, my mind was, I was thinking about, <laughs> I, I was thinking about Instagram reel. I need to finish off in like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> And then I say, can you tell me again? <laughs> and let me be completely present with you. <laughs> and then, mm -hmm. and then it gives you kind of another option. But at the question, um, how to express, it's like, ah, oh, yeah. So it's like in those little moments, it's to kind of feel your partner, like as they're talking to you, you know, and you might want to ask them, you know, if they catch you off guard and you know, you're not completely present is like, ask them just to stop for a moment, take a breath, take a breath, feel the ground you know, almost practice like feeling your partner before they spoken, like, ah, what's the kind of texture of, of what she's feeling right now. And then like really listen into the words, the tone of voice that's underneath it, even to see how her body moves as she's speaking is like, okay. And then you're responding from like a full sense of feeling of, mm. of what's going on for her. And I guess to express the desire, um, you know, I spoke to one of my clients this week, and he was really saying how the tiny things he does is like, he will just look at his partner from across the room, smile at her, hold the gaze for a little bit and get back to what he's doing. And she might come over and go, what was that? Why are you looking at me like that? And he'll just say, I'll tell you later on tonight. And it creates a little bit of mystery, a bit of intrigue. Mm. Um, and he's, he was explaining to me all these different ways, which we've been talking about for a few months, like how he's created his desire. Sometimes it is going up behind his partner and just hold, hugging her tightly and then letting go and, and moving on with the rest of his day, right? Or it might mm. be when a, a memory comes, and this is a really beautiful one I feel is like, 
if you have a memory of a past time that the two of you had together, it could be three days ago, right? It could be five years ago, the memory comes. It's just to express it in some way, just to say it, just to, you know, if they're at work, send a voice message and go, oh, do you remember that night we were in Paris and, you know, we snuck down this, this back alley? Just leave it there, like, and, and move away. But you can do that in person. You could do it if you were just in Paris last week, you know? It's mm-hmm. just to kind of reawaken that feeling of desire because those thoughts are passing through our minds. You know, mm-hmm. those feelings are passing through our minds and it's just a practice of expressing them in some way through words, through our actions, through the, the look in our eye that really, mm-hmm. really makes a difference to, to our partners. And as I'm hearing you say this, I'm, I'm thinking a way to, if you need to conceptually think about this, to think about it as this, you're, you're giving to the entity that is the relationship when you're doing those sorts of things. Like, yes, you're giving to your partner, but also if you want to be in relationship, like you said, then the relationship needs tending and nurturing and energetic input. And this is a way to do that artfully and skillfully mm-hmm. as a practice, you know, cause it's not just going to sustain itself like that. We have Disney to thank for that myth and some <laughs> other, some other people that we should just be happily every after, you know, but once the honeymoon phase ends, like, it takes some skill and some art to keep a, a relationship thriving. Mm, you know? Case work. Yeah. Takes work. Did you want to speak to emotional reactivity and how to manage that to close mm. things up? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's the the piece that, you know, we, there's a lot of talk about reactivity now, which I think is really, really good, really positive because it allows us to kind of notice that, you know. And it's funny, as I use that term notice, I think of a, a modality that I tried. I went to a, work, a few workshops about it. It's called circling. I don't know if you've ever heard of mm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it's, a really, it. it's a really, it's a really, it's really simple. And it's like, I will stand in front of, of someone else and I will start by just commenting on what I notice in my own body. So, you know, as I'm sitting here, I was looking at Taylor and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling a slight tingle on the left side of my belly. And I might just speak that like I'm noticing. And then he may respond by being like, oh, hearing you say that, I feel a slight flutter in my heart or, um, you know, tension in my chest. And this is where our emotions are signaling to us in any moment, right? There's something going on. It, they signal through the body. If we are able to mm-hmm. feel our body enough, right? Because there's a, also a practice there of learning to get out of the head and back into the body. So for instance, you know, something like jealousy. I always use jealousy examples. I think a lot of us have experienced jealousy. We may see our partner talk to another man at a party, for instance. Mm-hmm. Now, being really reactive could be as soon as they come back over is just like letting rip with like, you shouldn't be talking to someone else. I saw how you were flirting with somebody. Like, how could you do that? That's not really skillfully dealing with your own emotional reactivity. The most skillful thing to do is to observe that, ah, I am experiencing jealousy. I'm experiencing mm. some jealousy now. She was over there living her life and that caused uh, and a reaction within me, which will be felt physically. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel something in your stomach. Your face mm-hmm. might get hot. Your heart might start beating. Mm-hmm. And just noticing that, oh yeah, this is mine. This lives with me. And a little bit about what uh, we spoke about earlier, is it might be saying to your partner, like, hey, you know, when I saw you over there with the other man, I felt, man, I felt really jealous. But it's like, there's an mm-hmm. ownership there. Like I felt this not you did this to me or you shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. It's like, I take ownership mm-hmm. of this. And maybe that moment there isn't the moment to have that discussion. And that's also part of mm-hmm. the kind of managing our emotional activity. It's like waiting for the opportune or the, not necessarily the perfect moment, because there's never a perfect moment, but creating the mm-hmm. right moment to express that. And it's just, you know, noticing and, and, and being with that, that feeling inside, but you have to be able to notice that it is happening and take ownership that it's happening to you. Yeah. Then, then possibly at a certain point, I imagine there uh, another skillful response could be just to notice that and then breathe with it and feel it and mm-hmm. possibly not even need to bring it up to the partner. Because like, what if, what if I'm a really jealous person and this is happening every day? Like, I don't want to constantly be telling my partner 
that I'm jealous of her because that's going to impact our relationship negatively. So there's, yeah, there's how to, how to navigate that internally. Like, how would you say, how would you suggest to do that? Is, is breath a good tool? Like say, for example, I'm in this scenario, I get jealous of my partner interacting with somebody else and it's not the context for me to talk with them about it in that moment. What should I do? Mm, yeah. And I, as you know, there's multiple things. It's like, like you said, breath is a perfect one, right? Breath is a wonderful way to connect with ourselves, but also just let go. So, you know, notice any tension in the body, right? It might be that suddenly you've got really tense. Um, another way is just through self kind of inquiry, self conversation. A question I often ask myself in these moments when I'm having this emotional reaction is like, what am I making this mean about me and who I am? Mm. And under out of that question is in some incredible gold, you know, especially in this moment of jealousy, you might take yourself outside and have a few breaths and you might observe the thinking that you're having about, you know, the frustration, the anger, what they should and shouldn't have been doing. If you say to yourself, what am I making this mean about me? Mm. And I might see that, okay, I'm making it mean that she likes someone else more than she likes me, that I'm not as good as that guy. I'm not as good looking as him, or I'm not as wealthy Mm. as him. And then suddenly I'm into what's really happening under here. It's nothing about her. Mm. It's all about how I view myself. And then I can start being with that and going, okay, I got it. Like it's my insecurity around my value as a man. Mm. Yep. Yep. I see it. I got it. Breathe into it. Breathe into it. Give thanks for it because at some point, right, this is, this has helped you, right? In some mm-hmm. point, just give thanks for this awareness that you now have in this moment and then decide like, how am I going to, how do I want to come back into this moment with my partner or whatever it may be and move back, refocus into what you want. Mm. And if it's something that keeps coming up and it's something you want to tell your partner about, like, I've just realized, you know, something like I've just realized that I, you know, I'm a little bit insecure about X, Y, and Z, then find a moment, but it doesn't, you don't always have to talk about it. And this is the the part that actually my partner said to me a few couple of years ago was, you know, around her own anxiety about the relationship. She said, I have to start reassuring and self-soothing myself because I can't always come mm. to you to reassure me and self-soothe me because that becomes unfair on you. So she started to really learn to, when she was feeling anxious about things, to have her practices of meditation, um, breath work. Um, I know she even keeps a, like a folder of, uh, on her, in her phone of all the wonderful, beautiful messages that I've sent her and the lovely notes Mm. that I've written for her. So she can come back into kind of this regulating herself alone without the need for her to come to me to regulate her and her emotions. That's beautiful. That's a really good idea too. (laughs) <laughs> it's a really good idea too. And it, it one thing occurs to me hearing you speak about jealousy is that if there is a particular flavor of jealousy that keeps coming up, say you do the internal inquiry, you have the jealousy experience and you ask yourself like, what does this mean? What do I make this mean about me? And the same thing keeps coming up over and over again. Then to me, it seems that there's a learning opportunity there, right? And there's an opportunity for you to take action to create something different in your life. Like maybe the jealousy is just, it's information, right? And instead of reacting and ang- reacting angrily at your partner or shutting things down, like this more skillful thing to do would be to do some inquiry and notice, oh, where do I actually, what do I need to do in my life? What do I want to do in my life? What is this telling me that I'm actually desiring more of? Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes. This, you know, it's all information, like all these stories, all these narratives um, that we have about ourselves, our insecurities, these are all information, pieces of information that can accelerate and help with our growth. And it's it's mm. why I really advocate, like, don't shame yourself when you realize that you have some insecurity or don't shame yourself when you realize that you you have a narrative or, or, or belief around not being good enough. It's like, ah, because this is information to allow you to make sense of your experience but once you have the information, you can start make start making different choices and taking different actions, knowing that this information exists and has existed for you um, for some mm. period of time. Boom. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. 
Excellent way to close up. David, thank you so much for being here. This has been an awesome conversation. I've learned a lot through the conversation. It's going to affect how I go throughout my Valentine's Day the rest of the day. Thank you for that. If people want to find more from you and work with you, where can they find you? Um, Usually the the best place to find me is on Instagram. Uh, You can find me at theauthenticman underscore. Um, I also have a podcast of my own as well. If you want to hear more Mm -hmm. of the things that I love to talk about, which is just called The Authentic Man with uh, David Chambers. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you everybody for listening. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Before you go, I have a request. If you got a lot out of this episode, then it would mean a lot to me if you would take a moment right now and go over to Spotify or Apple and leave a review of this podcast. That'll help more people know that this podcast is actually worth listening to and it'll help me know that you like it as well. And if you have any requests for the future, for future topics or future guests, please shoot me a message. Either send me a DM on Instagram or shoot me an email via the contact form on my website. I would love to hear from you. And with that, I'll say thank you again, and I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. I will see you in the next episode.